to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. As we continue our Bible study series on answering tough questions. Got a tough question again tonight. Our previous question, uh, we dealt with it two weeks ago, was how can a loving God send people to hell? And by the way, if you missed that or any of the other questions, you can listen to them online. But as a result of that discussion, how can a loving God send people to hell? We came to the conclusion the Bible teaches that God provided a way to escape hell through Jesus Christ. And if people go to hell, it's because they don't take advantage of God's provision through Jesus Christ. But that raises another question. If God's provision for people to escape hell is through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, what about people that never hear about Jesus or about what he did on the cross? And that leads us to our question tonight. So our question tonight is what happens to those who never hear the gospel? Uh, about half, maybe not quite half, but about half the population of the world, over 3 billion people live in a place that have not yet had someone go there to tell people about Jesus. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. They have, in fact, for many of them in their lifetime, they have little to no chance to ever hear about Jesus, his sacrifice and his free gift of salvation, unless people go. That's a whole other issue about the importance of missions and sharing the gospel. So what happens to those who never hear the gospel? If someone were to ask you that question, what would your answer be? Or if you just want to give a general answer, what are some of the answers that could be to what happens to those who never hear the gospel? This is your chance. Vida. Creation what? What's that got to do with people who never heard the gospel? Okay, so there are things they can know about truth, about God from nature. Is that what you're trying to communicate? Mm-hmm. Okay, so they can be intrigued by what they see in nature and the intricacies of that and all that kind of stuff, and therefore research like how did this happen. It'll, it'll set them. Yeah, we're going to look at Romans chapter one in a minute. In fact, if we're going to be looking at Romans a lot, so if you want to turn to Romans, that's great. So that's a good point. That's a starting place anyway. People who don't hear the gospel, they at least have other witnesses, other testimonies that would proclaim if they're willing to hear that something is out there, someone is out there. Okay? Did somebody else have their hand up? How you would respond? John. I read somewhere where I don't remember exactly where the gospel. Okay. So that is a possible response. I'll repeat it for the recording. No, it's a good deal. That uh, one response would be that if people did not have that truth, if they were good people, he didn't say that exactly, but were obedient to what was good and right and the rules that they had, that God would know their heart, that if they knew the truth, they would be good and right and obedient to him. So that means that we're saved by being good. Not necessarily. Not necessarily, but not maybe. Necessarily. <laughs> you know, I play the devil's advocate with anybody, but it's extra fun when I do it with you, John. So, okay, but I thought it was because Jesus died that we're saved, not because we're good. Okay, we're going to come back to that. Okay, all right, but that is a reason 
people would give. An explanation is that God will judge them based on the light that they have. Okay? So maybe some people would be better off if we didn't take them the gospel. Because if we take them the gospel, they might reject it. But if they... I'm not being serious about that. I'm just saying, but that would be a response. Joan. Okay. Well, the Holy Spirit dwells within believers. He doesn't dwell within unbelievers. But... There is a conscience in each one of us. In fact, what Vita said about nature and being in Romans, we're going to read it in a minute. Romans also talks about how a person's conscience can let them know about what's right and what's wrong. And the Holy Spirit can use that. So what you said is the Holy Spirit's involvement is true. It's just the Holy Spirit does not dwell in an unbeliever like he dwells in a believer. But the Holy Spirit can work upon an unbeliever in conjunction with their conscience to point them to truth and to what is right and what is wrong. And that's one of the factors, too. But, uh, well, I was going to say something, but we'll actually get into it tonight. Now, there's a lot more we could talk about that, but we've got to get to the meat of our lesson tonight. I'll take Sharon's, and then we're going to go on. Go ahead, Sharon. The Bible speaks about... Okay. God has the ability to make a way for all to hear and then to accept or reject them. Part of what you said, which I won't repeat for the recording, some people have used to say that basically all people will eventually be saved. Okay? I, don't, I know that's not what you were saying. Okay? But some people have used that, that, you know, well... God's put eternity in our hearts, and all souls are created by him, and yeah, but anyway, that's a whole other topic. I know that's not what you're saying, but you're basically saying that God is big enough that he can help people come to know him if they are willing to respond, okay? And that's a good way to put it. Let's jump into this, okay? Let's look at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 32. I'm going to actually read this whole thing, and we're going to refer back to it for several points, okay? Um, This lays some foundation for some truths that we need to deal with in this topic. So Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now that part's pretty easy. Okay, the gospel is the good news. Jesus died for us, blah, 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 blah. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. Paul's not ashamed of it. We preach it so people can hear it. They can respond. Trust in Jesus for salvation. Doesn't deal with people that don't hear about him, but it lays the foundation. Going on to verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men and women, even though it doesn't say that that stands for everybody, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. That goes back to what Vita said. There are certain aspects of God and his character that can be seen in creation, if you're willing to see it. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, after it says, uh, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images re- resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator, a creature, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. 
For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. Now, we often look at this passage, or many people do, and say, that's kind of how the world began. Look what happened with the fall of man, and it's been going downhill ever since, and that is certainly true. But this is also a description of every individual and their interaction with our world and with God. Basically, what he's saying is that there's a certain amount that God has revealed of himself in nature, in creation, if a person is willing to pay attention to that, that should hopefully stir curiosity and cause them to turn toward him. But the natural tendency because of sin within us is to turn away from God. What are some of the terms usually? We say people suppress the truth. Okay? They aren't willing to recognize God. Okay? They deny him. They give themselves over to worshiping someone or something else, usually ourselves. And in that process, it turns into a lifestyle of sin and rebellion against God. And that's all comes down to choices that every single person are most likely to make. Okay, now that's just a summary, but let's take a look at the um, sub-points here that I want to point out here. The first major topic is this. God does not condemn people for not believing in Jesus, but for rejecting God himself. In other words, if you hear, the, hear, hear a person say, well, why would God send someone to hell, or even if they're more accurate, allow someone to go to hell for not believing in Jesus if they never had a chance. No one will go to hell for not believing in Jesus. That sounds heretical. No, this, these verses say people will go to hell because they've rejected God. Believing in Jesus is the way not to go. But it's not the not believing in Jesus is going to send you there, although that if you don't believe in Jesus, you'll go there. But it's not so much because you just chose not to believe in Jesus. It's because you have rejected God, according to what the Scriptures say. Because, number one, God is revealed to all. God is revealed to all. Um, we see in this passage the one that Vita asked. I was going to say how, but Vita already answered it. Letter A, through creation. Verses 19 to 20, we won't reread it, but it just says... That I mean, you can't look at creation and say, oh, there's a God up there, and he's like a father, and he's all loving. Uh, you can't list all the character traits of God, but there's a lot of things you can learn about God by looking at creation if your mind is open to it, okay? And to believe that there is someone, something out there of a greater intelligence, because un unfortunately a lot of people choose to believe otherwise, this stuff couldn't all happen by accident, Okay? So through creation, but also through conscience. Through conscience. That was mentioned, um, if you want to go a little bit further down in Romans, Romans chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Paul says, and he's talking about the difference between Gentiles, which were basically the pagans, and the Jews. He says the Jews have the law of God. They've got to have the history with God. The Gentiles don't. 
But he says, you know, even sometimes Gentiles get it right. Why? And he explains that here, verse 14. For when Gentiles who don't have the law, just talking about God's law, it's not talking about having laws, but who do not have God's law, by nature do what the law requires, they're a law to themselves even though they don't have a law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. In other words, what he's saying is that people have consciences. Now, those consciences can be seared, they can be dulled, but if we're willing to really pay attention to our conscience, and I love what Joan said earlier, the Holy Spirit working on our consciences, they tell us, our conscience tell us what is right and what is wrong, okay? And so God has revealed a lot through nature, creation. He's revealed himself to a degree through our consciences and what is right and what is wrong. But let me ask you a question. Is that revelation enough to save somebody? And that's part of the question, right? If somebody sees nature and says, oh, there must be a God up there. And I've got this thing of right and wrong and I'm not doing right, but I'm doing wrong. Is that enough to save someone or do they actually need to know about Jesus? And that's the issue we're dealing with here. Did you want to make a comment, Verissa? What did you say? Abraham. We're going to come back to Abraham. Thank you for mentioning Abraham. We're going to come back to him. Yes, Vita. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see lots of, not just him, but a number of situations in the New Testament where people didn't understand, and God sent someone to show them and to tell them the truth. And again, that's the main thing I want us to all draw from this, is that wherever you come down on this issue, people need to hear about Jesus. Okay? People need to hear about Jesus. We need to be serious about telling them ourselves and sending missionaries and getting the word out there. Yeah, Sharon, you were going to say something? Cornelius. Cornelius. I'm going to come back to Cornelius as a great example also. So, that's right. That's why sharing the gospel is so important. That's, like I said, that's the main takeaway I want us to take from this. All right? You know, there are some Christians, none in this room, but there are some Christians who would rather sit around all day talking about what happens to people they haven't heard rather than go out and tell people who haven't heard. May that not be us, right? Okay. So, God has revealed certain things and is willing to reveal certain things through creation and through conscience, but it's not enough for people to learn about Jesus because Jesus' name is not written in the stars or anything like that. They still need to hear about Jesus to get the full message. The second point under this, okay, um, is people reject the revelation of God available to them. We read about that um, the verses there, Romans 8, uh, 1, verse 18, 21 to 23, 25, and 32. That's the passage we read that it keeps emphasizing over and over again. No matter how much God has put himself out there, no matter how much he's available, no matter how much somebody could possibly learn, the basic nature of man because of our sinful nature is to reject that, to turn away from it, to suppress the truth. We don't want to hear it. We don't want a God. We want to be our own gods. We want to do our own thing. We don't want to be accountable to anybody else. That is the basic Response: People reject the revelation of God available to them. Number three, associated with the rejection of God is a life of sinful rebellion against God. Again, we read that. What was the result of saying, "I don't want to learn about God. I don't want. To, I'm going to suppress the truth. I'm going to push that back in the back of my mind. I'm going to not let my conscience talk to me about that." We get involved in a sinful, rebellious lifestyle. Some more than others. Okay, but that's what happens. 
Number four, this rebellion warrants eternal condemnation. In other words, we are all deserving of condemnation because we've all turned our backs on God. We've all suppressed the truth. We've all ignored or pushed aside the truth. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, and then verse 23 says, As it is written, none of us is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then the verse you probably hear me quote pretty much every single week. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that leads to the fifth and last thing. And this is just the basic gospel stuff, but this is the, this is the foundation we've got to work with. Number five, therefore, everyone deserves hell. There are no innocent people. And, and I emphasize that because sometimes the question is worded this way. Well, what about all those innocent people? in the jungles of Africa or all those innocent people up in Siberia or those innocent people in China who've not yet heard the gospel and heard there are no innocent people every person has turned their backs on God every person has violated their conscience that God put there to try to help them know right from wrong every person has rebelled against God so everyone deserves hell I've I've mentioned this to you before. It's kind of a joke in our house. Long, long time ago, you know, my wife and I were talking, and she she said something about, um, or I said something about, I forget exactly how the conversation went, but it's her getting what she deserves. And I just said, well, you know what you deserve. You deserve hell. (laughs) And I was just being theological and making a joke, and spiritually speaking, you know. And so now... You know, if I say something, I try to be real loving and romantic. I say, well, I just want to treat you the way you deserve. I think, she, well, I know how you think. You think I deserve hell. (laughs) Anyway, but John chapter 3, verse 18 to 19, it follows 16, which is for God so loved the world that he gave, right? Jesus didn't come to condemn, but people don't often finish that out. In verses 18 and 19, it says, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Okay? Because we're all condemned already. That's why he didn't come to condemn us. We're already condemned. He came to save us. All right? Our default status when we're born is we are dead in trespasses and sins. We're all condemned. We're already on our way to hell. But God loved us so much that Jesus came. Okay? All right. So here's the hard truth. Whether someone hears about Jesus or not, whether they respond or not, All people are guilty and deserve God's condemnation. Now, I got this little picture, this little uh, illustration, and it's not a perfect illustration, but maybe this will help us to understand this, but also understand going forward. If you could picture a prison that is full of murderers, and all of them are totally guilty, there's no doubt, you know, there's no innocent that somehow slipped in, you know, they're all guilty, deserving of the ultimate punishment for murder. And the warden decides, I'm going to make it possible, through whatever means, that they can be pardoned if they'll just come and express that they truly are sorry and they ask for it. Okay? If people do that and he pardons them, 
That's wonderful. Do they deserve it? No. That's grace and mercy, right? But let's say he tells the people that no, go out and tell everybody else. And some do and some don't. But there are some people that never hear that news that if they'll just go to the warden and express they're truly sorry and ask him to bark, that he'll give them one. If they don't hear that news and they are punished for their sins, does that make the warden unjust? No. No. They deserve the punishment. So, now, don't get too depressed. What I'm saying here is that if people never hear about about Jesus and they end up going to hell, they're just getting what they deserve, just like it'd be true for us. I'm not putting other people down. I'm just saying that's just the default. Okay? So, there are no innocent people. So, ultimately, there are people that may never hear and they will go to hell, but it's because they deserved it anyway. The good news is that God doesn't want them to go, and he's going to do everything he can to keep them from getting there. That's part of what we're going to be looking at here, okay? All right. Yes, Vita, real quick, because if I don't keep moving, we're in trouble. That's why God is patient. That's right. That's right. The next major point on your sheet there. Salvation is available because of Jesus' death on the cross. Basic gospel, we're not going to dig deeply because you all understand that. But let me ask you a question. Did God have to send Jesus? Did Jesus have to come? No. After the fall of man, either immediately or at any point in history, God could have just shut it all down, sent it away to hell and said, he's just, he's righteous, he's holy. But he loved his creation so much. And even knowing ahead of time they were going to do that, he still created because he wanted people to love and, and for him to be loved. He didn't need it, but he wanted it for all eternity. And because of that, he did send Jesus. He didn't have to. Okay? So number one, basic gospel, Jesus paid the price for salvation by his death on the cross. Jesus paid the price for salvation by his death on the cross. The verse I read a moment ago, Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this next one is not politically correct. In the world's system of religion, it's not spiritually correct. But it's what the Bible says. Number two, Jesus' death on the cross is the only provision for salvation. Okay? John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name, basically no other person, no other provision, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, I'm going to throw in a little bit of a curveball, but it has direct relationship to people who've never heard. If salvation is only available through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, how were people saved before Jesus showed up? Does that mean that that everybody who existed before Jesus died on the cross and died before Jesus died on the cross is all going to hell? No. No. Okay, so what would you say, Carlton? That's why blood was shed. Okay, explain that. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So what blood are you talking about? Okay. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were made, the killing of animals, the shedding of blood, to look forward to the shedding of Jesus' blood. I like the way you worded that. Because some people would look at that and say, well, before Jesus came, people had to kill animals and shed blood, and that blood forgave them. No, it didn't. Um, I heard one preacher put it this way. It's sort of like those sacrifices were interest-only payments on the principal. The principal could only be paid by Jesus. 
But the sacrifices are interest-only payments to kind of push it off until Jesus could show up. Okay, but you're right. It's looking forward to it. Okay. Tim, you had a comment? Well, that's a whole other issue as to what that verse means that says Jesus went to preach to those who have never heard. Okay, so we're not going to dig into that one. But all right. All right. So... Um, so the, the question, if salvation is only available through Jesus, how were people saved before he came? Okay, the next, the next big point here. Old Testament, New Testament, before Jesus, after Jesus, here's the thing. Salvation was always the same way. Salvation has always been provided on the basis of faith. Salvation has always been provided on the basis of faith. Now, not just faith in anybody or anything, but faith in God. And in his provision for salvation. Okay? Um, Romans chapter 1, we read it, but it's been so long I'm going to read it again. Verses 16 to 17, we started off with this. When Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And if you read Paul, Romans, Galatians... It's all, it's all about faith. Faith, 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 faith. Faith in Jesus, faith in what he did, faith in God. It's all about faith. Salvation is always on the basis of faith. So number one, before Jesus, salvation was provided based on a person's faith that God would take care of the sin problem. Whereas in the Old Testament, God's people were looking forward. We got a sin problem, but God is going to take care of it. God's going to take care of it. It's never been about being good enough or anything like that. Now, God did call his people to a righteous lifestyle just like he does today. Even though we're not trusting in our righteous lifestyle to be saved, it's our response to the fact that God wants to save us. Same thing was true in the Old Testament. Okay? Um, So before Jesus, salvation was provided based on a person's faith that God would take care of the sin problem. We could make a whole lesson of this, but let me just point out a couple things. It starts all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 after Adam and Eve sinned. They're standing before God. God is issuing his judgment, and he did the whole thing with Adam. You know, you're going to have to work hard, and you're going to sweat your brow, blah, 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 blah. And the woman, pain and childbirth, and you're going to have this kind of contentious spirit with your husband. You're going to have to be wrestling back and forth. And then the serpent, you know, Satan, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, very poetic, very not real clear, but that was the first prophecy of Jesus and the fact that he was going to defeat the enemy, okay? And he's going to make things right, all right? You can also read, um, I'm sorry, no, no. Then Abraham, who mentioned Abraham earlier? Veressa. Abraham, the father of... The Israelites, the father of all people of faith, the one that Paul loves to use as an example of being right with God based on faith. Okay? Genesis 15, 6, it says that Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed him, his faith. All right? Romans 4, verses 3 to 16 is Paul's explanation of all that. That, you know, some people say, well, Abraham was made right because he went through circumcision and this, that, and the other. And Abraham says, nope, he was made right with God before he was even circumcised. It was all based on faith. He trusted God. And the whole story of Isaac and the sacrifice, that's the whole aspect of trusting God. God's going to provide. God's going to do it. You know, Isaac says, where's the ram? God's going to provide. Okay? All right. Hebrews chapter 11, if you read it, it is 
full of men and women that the Bible said pleased God because they were people of faith. All right? They were right with God. They had a good relationship with God because of their faith. As Carlton uh, uh, mentioned, and we could do a whole study on that. We're not going to, but the whole Old Testament sacrificial system pointed to Jesus and his death as the ultimate sacrifice. And I, the book of Hebrews is all about how he was the ultimate sacrifice and he fulfilled all that stuff. All right, so... In the Old Testament, before Jesus, salvation was provided based on a person's faith that God would take care of the sin problem. But God did do that in Jesus. So now, number two, since Jesus, salvation is provided based on a person's faith that God has taken care of the sin problem through Jesus. Okay? God has taken care of it through Jesus. That's the good news. Lots of scriptures on that. I just put Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay? It's God's grace by sending Jesus, our faith in that that saves us, not being good. So here's the big question. When we deal with this whole thing, what about people who've never heard? Can a person today be saved in the same way people in the Old Testament were saved? The people in the Old Testament didn't know about Jesus. They only knew what God had promised. They only knew it's called progressive revelation. God revealed a little bit more and more and more along the way. It all led up to Jesus. But they were saved. Okay? And, and, and if you look at that and you could word it in just the right way to kind of go with what John said, if they're faithful to the light they have, is that what that means? Is that the way it is? Can a person today be saved in the same way people in the Old Testament were saved? Can they just, you know, respond to creation, respond to their conscience and say, there's got to be somebody out there. I know I'm not right. So if you're out there, somehow save me and they're going to be okay. Is that, can that be possible? We're going to head there in just a minute. Dorothy, did you want to say something? You look like you're getting ready to say something. I know I'm raising more questions than we're answering, but we'll get them all answered before we get to the end. Go ahead. But that's in Jesus. That's what I'm saying. What about somebody who's never heard of Jesus? Huh? It is faith. So if a person has faith in whatever God they perceive in creation and stuff, and they turn to him, even if they don't know about Jesus, can they still be saved? Well, we're headed there. Okay. I will just say this. The people are divided about this. All right. There is a smaller group of people who are Christians that are inclusivists, and they would say yes, okay? If they turn to God and trust him to provide a solution for their sin, they would look at the passage you read in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, where it says that God has put a conscience, and even the Gentiles know what's right and what's wrong, and what they would say is that if there's somebody who's never heard about Jesus, may never hear about Jesus their entire life, but if they call out to God because of what they see in creation and what they hear and see in their conscience and say, there's got to be somebody out there and I need help and I'm just crying out, you're out there somewhere, please help me that God will then issue them grace and that all the verses that talk about that there is no other name under heaven where you can be saved and Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life, that that is all true. They would never deny that. It's only through Jesus, but that provision will be applied to them because they had no way of knowing about Jesus. Some would say that. 
Okay? They might would use an illustration like, well, do you need to know the name of the person who developed the cure for a disease to benefit from the cure? No, but that's kind of an incomplete, but still that gets the idea across. All right? But before we go on, let me ask you a question. How likely do you think it would be that someone who never heard about Jesus, never heard the gospel, never heard God explain to them, would actually come to the conclusion of, there's a God out there, there's somebody out there, there's a problem in me, I'm going to cry out to this being that somehow they'll make it right. It is possible that somebody could do that. Now, I'm not saying that would save them. It is possible. But it's not very likely, is it? No. So even if you were to believe this, I don't believe this. Most evangelical Christians don't believe this, but there are some that do. But even if you do, it shows we've got the gospel out there. Because even if there would only be a point zero 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 one percent chance that someone could connect with God without hearing about Jesus to, to, to get saved, they need to hear the gospel to make the chances even more. Okay, All right, number two, exclusivists. That sounds like a negative thing, but it's basically just saying Jesus is the only way. They would say, no, they must know about Jesus and put their trust in what he did for them on the cross. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15 and verse 17, Paul says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, talking about Jesus, shall be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul's point here is that people need to hear about Jesus because they need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And how can they call on him unless they believe in him? How can they believe on him unless they hear about him? How can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? Okay? All right. Again, this is what most evangelicals believe. So what do we do with that? Again, just remember, and this is not a fun truth. Anybody who's in the deep jungles of Africa, out in the wilds of China, or the deep urban neighborhoods of New York City, or any other big city, who's never heard of Jesus, even if they never hear of Jesus, never reach out to God, and they die and go to hell, it's not because they didn't choose to follow Jesus. Even though it's because we're sinners. That's what we all deserve. Okay, But... The last thing, conclusion. We're timing this pretty good. I know I've had to ignore some hands, though. Okay, truths to trust in and act upon. Number one, God is just and he will do what is right. Whatever confusion you might still have left after our time together tonight, pray about it and say, well, Jesus, I don't want to be part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. Help me to be a good witness and help me to support missions and all that, okay? But whatever God decides to do, He's not going to break his word. God is just and will do what is right. Genesis 18.25, Abraham says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Good question. And the answer is yes. I believe that's in the context of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God told Abraham, I'm going to destroy them. And Abraham says, oh, but what if there are 40, 50 people in there that are righteous? Well, if there are, I won't. God, Abraham says, what if there's 45? I mean, Abraham had this conversation. None of us would want, what about there's 40? What there's, and, and he said, what if there's 10? And God said, there's 10. But there weren't 10. But what did God do? He delivered the ones that were. So sometimes we deal with questions and we don't exactly like the fullness of the answer. 
but we have to be willing to trust that God is just and he will do what is right. Okay. Second thing here, God responds to everyone who seeks him. So going back to our question is if someone actually got to the point of saying there's somebody out there, this couldn't have had myself and there's something wrong with me. And I gotta find out what this is, okay? And that's the way that we started this conversation out with Vita's comment about that stuff they see. It should at least get them on the path to searching for truth, okay? If people follow a path to search the, for truth, God will respond to that. He promises to. He told his own people in Deuteronomy four twenty nine when he talked about them sinning and being punished and going to exile. He says, "But if from there in exile you'll seek the Lord your God, and you if from I'm sorry, but from there." You will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, I think that's the first place that's mentioned in the Old Testament. But that truth is all through the Old Testament and it's all through the New Testament. You will find me if you seek for me with all your heart. You will find me if you seek with me, seek for me, with me for all your heart. Uh, a couple examples were mentioned earlier of people that did that. Okay. Now, some of them had definite benefits. Um, Acts chapter 10, you can read that later. That's the story of Cornelius. He was a Roman centurion. He knew about Israel's God, tried to serve Israel's God, but he didn't know about Jesus. But he was a seeker after truth. God sent an angel to him and said, send for Peter. He's going to tell you how to be saved. Now, it did take for Peter, it did take Peter come to tell him about Jesus, but he was a seeker and God responded. And got the message to him. Again, he had a little bit of a benefit because he already knew about the Jewish God. In Acts chapter 17, Paul says this. He's talking to the Greeks who are total heathens. He's preaching the gospel to them, okay? Acts chapter 17, verses 26 to 28, he says, And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's not actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. He's talking to these heathen Athenians, uh, people from Athens, okay, these Greek philosophers. And he said, you know what? God, think about this, God deliberately put each person he ever created in the time and place where they are, and according to what this says, that one of the major factors for why he allowed us to be born where we are, when we are, I thought, said, God, why am I so blessed to be born in this place and live in this place at this time in history you know, compared to the rest of history and the rest of the world? Well, this is part of the answer that Paul's indicating here that God put each person in the place where they can possibly be the most receptive to hear the gospel if they're willing to search for it. And I believe that that's true not only of us who's born in a culture where we can hear the gospel anytime we want, but I believe that's also God's heart for the person who's out in the middle of nowhere, that in his wisdom and understanding, he's put them there because somehow, some way, if they're willing to seek, he can get the truth to them. Okay. The question is whether or not they'd be willing. There's a book that I use a little bit for some of these questions. It's called Tough Topics by Sam Storms. Here's a quote from that. It says, If by God's gracious and sovereign enablement, any unbeliever responds positively to the revelation of God in nature and conscience, God will take the necessary steps to reach that person with the good news of Christ, whereby he or she may be saved. 
Basically, what he's saying is if someone will honestly and sincerely seek, God will get it to them. Okay? Lisa. <laughs> oh, that is, that is such a cool... i got to repeat that for the recording. Your adopted son, when he was real little, said, told you that he knew that Jesus gave you to him so that you could lead him to Jesus. God brought him to you so that he could hear about Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me wrap it up because it's time to quit. Just a couple more points. Number three. People have the greatest chance of being saved by hearing the gospel. The passage we already read in, in Romans 10. You know, how can they believe unless they hear? How can they hear unless somebody tells them? How can they tell them if somebody sends them? Is it possible that somebody out wherever can just come to some realization, i got to seek this whoever, and they seek and then God sends someone? Yes. But how much easier is it if there's someone in their village that's telling them about Jesus? Okay. So we don't need to just say, ah, well, if somebody's really serious, God will get somebody to them. No, we've got to take it to them, okay? So number four, we must share the gospel ourselves and send it around the world. Matthew 29, 18 to 20, Jesus said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew nine thirty seven to 38, Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the vineyard, or into the harvest. So just to summarize, whether somebody hears about Jesus or not, no matter where they live, if they die without turning to God, they'll go to hell, and they deserve to because I deserve to. We all do. We're all headed there. It's just default. But God loved us so much he sent Jesus. Anybody who truly would be willing to ignore what comes naturally to us of wanting to deny God and his influence and suppress the truth, but really seek after God, God will reach out to somehow, some way. But the easiest and best way is for them to hear the gospel, so we need to take the gospel. We need to send the gospel. We've been privileged to hear the gospel and respond. We need to make that as available to people as we possibly can. Vida quick comment or question then we got to close in prayer yeah 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 you know I've, I've been hearing more and more stories of muslims having dreams and visions um but they're usually of an angel or something steering them to a believer in other words even in the midst of that god still wants to use believers to get the truth to them it's not like god's revealing the gospel to them in a dream he's just telling them where they can find it so god still wants to use his people and God wants to use you. You know, he may not send you to Africa, China, or the inner city, New York City. I think I'd rather go to Africa or China than it is inner city, New York City. But he'll use us where we are. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together tonight. And God, none of us want to admit that we all deserve hell. But Lord, we do. But I thank you that Jesus died for us. And we've had the privilege of hearing that good news. And Lord, I thank you that your heart, Lord, you care more than anybody else that all people be saved. And you will do whatever it takes if people will seek after you. But, Lord, the way you do that is through us. So, God, use us. Help us, Lord God, to become more and more effective at pointing people to you. And, Lord, may we not only do that ourselves, and most importantly do that ourselves, but support, Lord God, your work here and around the world that's reaching people for Jesus. And, God, we pray, dear God, that more and more people would turn to you, even those those that have the very... Very little understanding or knowledge, Lord God. Quicken them by your spirit to cause them to turn to seek you and then send, Lord God, the message to them. 
And Father, we thank you and we praise you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 